This week, I have Donna and Undone. And I don't know if I'm, we're close enough yet to go on a first name basis, but uh, where can people find you first? I love to like make sure people have looked at some of your work before we talk for too long. Gerald, wh- where are you? What do you do? Predominantly on YouTube, my channel, Gerald Undone. It's a uh, nerdy camera tech video stuff. I call it uh, quick and nerdy videos for creative technology. And then I have a little bit of Instagram, a little bit of Twitter. But I'm Gerald Undone everywhere. Yeah, and I, everything for me is done and did it. Uh, and you can find me mostly probably on YouTube. That's where the the most of the people seem to go. But again, Instagram, Twitter, that and, kind of stuff. And that's why we're all in the same room right now. We are at Sony Camera Camp, and I'm like, well, we, we gotta we gotta do a thing. We gotta do something in person because you know yeah. we're all hanging out, which is awesome. So Sony Camera Camp is. Um, I don't know what what is it, you guys. It's, I haven't it's, been to anything like this before. It's summer camp for nerdy adults who like cameras. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, I mean, Sony basically brought all of their new gear here for us to play with, and brought a bunch of YouTubers in that have things in common. And a lot of what I really like about the the group that they put together is we all right away are aware of like the each other's channels and like have a lot to talk about a lot in common. So, I mean, my my favorite parts of it have just been able to chat with you guys and everyone else and kind of get to know each other and learn how other creatives do stuff. It reminded me of one of the things in photography that was the biggest fast forward to me getting better is when I used to shoot for iStock Photo. They would do these big events where photographers from all around the world would fly into the same city and have an iStockalypse. And it was was this, you know, it was like, we'd just get together and we'd shoot photos that were going to end up being stock. And just the action of shooting with other people and like talking to other people and just doing things with people that are even at the exact same level than you or even more beginner than you, you instantly start seeing things like, wow, I never thought of that simple little idea that just changed my life. Totally. Yeah. I'm I'm the kind of person who likes to dig into all the menus and know where all the little secrets and stuff are. And like, and so I didn't necessarily expect to be learning a lot of that kind of stuff, but there have been like a good handful of things that I didn't know about the cameras that we're using that I've picked up or like the way that people shoot or those little things. Can you give us one? Do you have, do you have anything the, at the top of your mind? There's something called bright monitoring in the, in the Sony cameras that I've I, never heard of this. Yeah. And so they, they, uh, I was doing a workshop with, uh, Stan Moniz, I believe yeah. is how you say his name. He was doing a, a night photography, uh, for time lapses. And he was talking about like how to be able to see if your stars are in focus, that kind of thing. And, uh, he started talking about bright monitoring. I was like, oh yeah, like I know how to make it sunny weather brightness or whatever. And somebody leaned over and was like, that's not what it is. Like it's, this <laughs> yeah. is a different thing. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like I dug through all these menus a hundred times and like tried to find every little thing. And all of a sudden it was one of those things that you have to put on a custom button. There is no like actual menu thing for it. It's weird that'd be hidden so deep. Yeah. But, but and, and it was super handy for doing exactly what we were doing that night. So it's crazy. Yeah. Do you have one, Gerald? You already knew all this, didn't you? Yeah, I know all this. Sony menu stuff. <laughs> I, I was the one that showing everybody how to do it. No, uh, I think, I don't know if I learned anything here. anything at all never ever in life specifically about the menus Uh, but yeah my stuff was like final cut the first session i went into we like there's these little classroom sessions here and it was how to edit faster in final cut you guys are are you both in premiere yeah yeah i recently switched to resolve mostly now but i've been using premiere for a long time so this doesn't apply to you (laughs) but i mean there's just some shortcut stuff that was fantastic like using the range selection tool so you press r select a range and then i can use hotkeys to duck audio 
in and out, which I didn't know. I, I had always been setting manual key points and like right. dragging those up and down. Yeah. That was awesome. That's cool. Um, basically, there's this long list of shortcuts. Um, and so from Ripple training, which is like, that's where I already, that's what I loved about this camp. The people that came in to like teach classes are the people I would want to know about it from. So yeah, yeah like Ripple training is the best Final Cut learning resource online. And so having them teach it was pretty awesome. Out, yeah. Who got to play with a Sony A6600 here? Yeah, I had one. Yeah, I used it a little bit. Okay, so I didn't, but I. <laughs> you guys have just told me about it then. It's the one camera I wanted to try here. And uh, I mean, they had a ton of cameras, but that was the one that yeah. everybody wanted. So. We were talking about this earlier. I feel like you summed it up pretty perfectly. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty small changes, right? Like, it's not drastic. It's a, it's a bigger battery, which means a bigger grip. And it has the A6500's image stabilization. But if you use the 64 or the 60 whatever... Pretty similar, yeah. yeah they're they're yeah. pretty similar. Well, does it turn it into uh, any more of like a must-have camera for everybody? Because you know the sixty-five hundred, sixty-four hundred, sixty or six thousand have all been some of like the top-selling cameras ever. Like the last few years, they've been selling really well. Yeah. Does this make it like keep it in that like must-have position? Keep it more competitive with everything else? I think if if you take the price out of the factor, yes. Uh, if yeah. you, if you have to factor in, if you're if you're trying to go like bang for buck kind of thing, then it's still kind of an on the fence. Yeah, because if the price was the same, the other ones are obsolete. Totally, just, yeah. Like, that's the one camera. They, yeah, yeah, like I mean, they had to they they finally got rid of the a sixty three hundred out of the lineup because the a sixty four hundred I think is so close in price to what it was that it just didn't make sense yeah. for it to still be there. But like. I mean, I guess maybe they'll get rid of the 65 eventually here in the lineup. Well, but. and assuming everybody listening doesn't follow it as closely as you guys do, can yeah. somebody give me the like what's the what's the price and what are the key new specs? The uh, so the 6600 is fourteen hundred dollars US, I believe, and uh, um, so it's got the flip up screen is kind of what I think everyone's been waiting for is some kind of thing so you can monitor yourself. Uh, it's got the bigger Z battery, which. Uh, personally, coming from all the older APS-C cameras and having just bought the the A7 III uh, with the Z battery in it, uh, or Z battery, since I'm in uh, a yeah. Canadian company. Yeah, uh, it's, it's okay, you're safe here. Yeah, <laughs> um, that actually is like a, a huge deal for me, and it, it's been super helpful, so I can see on the on the A6600. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, when when you say it's small changes, it's like small as far as like, if you were to try and make a video about it, like it's it's yeah, it's not much to it's talk about. News, but yeah. it changed somebody's experience a lot. But, and if it was your first camera, it's it's a great camera. But mm. I said the same thing about the sixty five hundred and sixty four hundred, sixty three hundred, six thousand when I first bought it. Like I think they're all great cameras. It's just like now we're 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 taking it in the context of like we know all those other cameras, and the the change itself is kind of what we're looking at. I think, and so it's a right, great right. camera. But like if you're used to those other ones, it's not that huge of a step up kind of thing especially again for the price it's, yeah it's, it is hard to put value on those little functional things though like we were talking about this before but the better battery you could value it straight by just how much do the small batteries cost so if you need three of those well mm-hmm. then you're paying more for batteries and you can figure it a dollar amount yeah it's probably not going to cover the full gap of the differential in price which i think is like five six hundred dollars so you're not going to probably some people probably do spend five six hundred dollars on the small batteries right mm-hmm. so the big batteries are good but it's hard to value it because what if it comes down to your workflow or how often you have to switch batteries or if you missed a shot because you ran out of juice or something, then yeah. that could be a, a tougher value thing because the, the big there is a considerable difference from those two batteries. Huge, yeah. yeah. And it gives you a fatter grip because of it now. And if you've got big monstrous hands like me or whatever, that means a better purchase on the camera, maybe a slightly you know, more well, stable there's grip. There's also those features that 
don't feel as big when you move into them, when you first get them, even using the camera, you're like, oh, this doesn't feel like a big deal. But that you instantly get so hooked on them yeah. that going back becomes impossible. Yeah. So I think we undervalue a lot of stuff because of that. Like, there's just certain things that we just take for granted. Once you take it away, appear, though. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't, now we couldn't live without it. Auto white balance lock. Oh. That's a cool. a, that was a like 6400 yeah, yeah 6400 has it and now the 6600 has it and uh and then the the new eye autofocus and video is like it's like we the face autofocus is great you know and like but it's cool now that you have the eye autofocus so it's all that stuff where it's like it's not really necessary it doesn't make the other cameras bad cameras but these ones are just good ones <laughs> you know what it is you know what is good about it though as like an overall i guess like design um uh, momentum is that you can see these like incremental updates that Sony quickly releases cameras right so you go from I remember the eye autofocus in video was when I was looking at the a7r4 at condo last month and that was just last month yeah and now the 6600s out it's like well of course it's got that yeah. and the 6100 has it too right but then crazy. before that the 6400 had a couple new things yeah and so when the r4 came out of course they were in it and now the 6600 has everything so they just keep what unless they're making a um, an economy camera like the sixty one hundred where they obviously don't have everything, but whenever there's like the next flagship or whatever you want to call it, you can count on all those little whatever small features they eventually accumulate into the next camera has those twelve changes are all in the camera, and yeah. so that's kind of cool, you know. Yeah. And we got to do here at Camera Camp, we got to do the product uh, feedback sessions or whatever, and so uh, I, that was something that I brought up that I I would like to see them do just a little bit more of that backwards software stuff, especially because something like the 6400 only came out, I don't know what it is, six months ago maybe? Right, and now you, know? you don't get the eye. And now all of a sudden yeah. I'm old news kind of thing as right. far as what I've got. You know, like it's, Pros and cons, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I mean, I think there's obviously there's got to be a, a threshold where like I'm not, I'm not expecting to get anything new in my 6500 that's been out for a couple of years, but it would be cool to have like... The, I still have the newest, basically one of the newest line of the cameras, but I'm missing features. It's kind like of thing. phone firmware, where you like you got two years of updates. Or yeah, like that, yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, and they so, abandoned you. But and, and and so the speaking with them about that, they said it was I think about logistics and like they've only got so many people on the on the software team, and you know they're they have to decide whether they're looking forward or looking back. And new products I mean, make money. New products old make firmware money. Firmware might not. You exactly. Know? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and they're they're obviously taking care of us with the new products, but it would be cool. To you know, if they took care of us with the older ones too, like, and again, it's that thing where it's like, I don't really need eye autofocus during video. The face tracking is great, but I would like to have it. Yeah, I think there's actually a lot to be said for some of the slower re release cycles. Um, I, I've heard arguments of how, in some ways, Sony is can damage the industry, like in a the broader ecosystem, by moving so quickly that. Um, you know, it's it can be very challenging as a photographer or filmmaker to have that feeling of like, oh man, I'm I'm behind, and like actually spending the money to keep upgrading can be stressful and draining. Um, and there's something reassuring with the the brands that sometimes are missing some features, but when you invest in a camera, you feel like, okay, well, at least I know it's not going anywhere for a while. And he actually did stick with it on the cinema line, like the FS7. I was expecting that to be replaced. Right away, because it came out so fast, and the FS5 came out, and it was they're both way ahead of their time. So I thought they're just going like, to keep going, and then the FS7 just stuck around for a while, and it was like a really solid working horse, and people invested in it and trusted it, and I like that. Like I like having some time to get to know my camera as well, and you know, so for me, like the 5D Mark IV is my main stills camera. I've been on the 5Ds 
since the very beginning of five D's and there's a comfort in that and like knowing I can kind of trust it. And they've been pretty consistent throughout the range. You can pick up a two or three and you're like, yeah, you know, you know what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. And well, and a good example of those actually where you, uh, I look back and I found, realized how much I loved feature was touchscreen and, and the dual pixel AF. I went back to the 5D Mark III like uh, several months ago, just before I was like, should I keep it? Should I get rid of it? And one of the first things I was trying to do was like, oh, this thing, does, it doesn't yeah, work. You don't Never realize works. how much yeah. you touch it until you start touching <laughs> the old one and it feels broken. And uh, yeah, just even things of how much I would sh- use it to shoot as well. Like I'd shoot from lower angles and touch the screen and just trust the face tracking. And that's still somewhere that I'd, I'd like to see Sony move forward faster. Is like, I turn off this, the touch screen on my, on my Sony's. I mean, it's there, but yeah. I found it made more mistakes. Like I got things oh, wrong more often. I would accidentally touch it. Yeah. Whereas something about the implementation on Canon's got me using it more. So You know a feature that I didn't think that I would appreciate as much until after I went back and didn't have as good of one is the resolution of the LCD screen on the back. Because mm-hmm. when I went back and looked at the 5D Mark III, and you know you like punch in a check if you had focus or whatever. It's like everything's soft. Right, is, right. is the screen soft? Is am I, am I yeah. missing focus? Is the back focus out? Totally. And then it's like no, it's sharp. It just the screen's not good compared to modern cameras. And so I guess I mean there's probably some diminishing returns on that. I don't need a little 4K panel on the back of my camera or whatever. <laughs> but I do want it sharper than what some of those DSLRs had. Like you know back in mid 2010s or whatever. So yeah, yeah. I'd almost never use the viewfinder. And when I got my a7 III, I started trying mm-hmm. to use the viewfinder. And it's weird because it feels low res to me for mm-hmm. some reason. Like, I don't know, I don't know to compare to like Canon or whatever their viewfinders, but I know you, I hear people talk about like how the, the Sony viewfinders haven't quite caught up right. or there's not as many million dots or whatever well, it happens what to What I be, really but. noticed on the a7 III, and I like my a7 III a lot, like, I, yeah. I get great results out of it. But um, the screen, the the bigger the back screen, something about it, the way it displays colors shows highlights is much more clipped than they are, and more clipped than the EVF does. So I look at the back, and then I look through the viewfinder, and I'm seeing I've a different too, image, yeah. and it's got a, like a pink tint to the highlights as well. Something just about it being like a. I guess they saved some money on it because I know the R has a better exactly. That's where they drew like separated the yeah. uh, the R is not just resolution in the sensor, but also you get you better EVF and yeah. better screen. And, and so that's one when, when I switch back and forth with the Canon, I'm like I may not have noticed it on the A7 III if that's all I used, but experiencing both, I really so. But it not being able to trust the the that one screen is yeah. But it doesn't clip in the final image. Yeah, it more. just is flip, clipped on the screen. Interesting. I was shooting with the better R- than the opposite. Yeah, that it looks like you have. Yeah. 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 I was I was shooting on the R4 all yesterday, and I was finding that my highlights were so. I kept I kept dialing it back, and I got all my photos back, and they're all underexposed. Right, everything is super underexposed because it was like super bright, and I'm. I might have been on sunny weather mode or something, and yeah. that was throwing me off. But, but that is the great thing about the Sunnies is you can recover so much. So, totally, yeah. yeah. Um, what else do you guys try here? I feel like I didn't try enough new gear. I mostly ended up using stuff that I've already used before. I really like the mics. The well, I haven't used any of those Sony mics that you just clip on before, but they are super small. I haven't actually, I guess I netted any of it, so I don't know what they sound like. But uh, the fact that they can just like pass the audio right through without any cables coming out, they're much smaller than... 
it lets them utilize some smart features too that you wouldn't normally get on like an analog mic. Like they have these like you know noise canceling oh. zoom functions, yeah, and all kinds of that. like wacky stuff like that. Yeah. I cool. used to have the the gun zoom, the EZM GZ1M or whatever it was, and it was it was cool, especially for when I was shooting with the A6000 because it has no mic port, so you have to buy the hot shoe mic, mm-hmm. which uh, was annoying. But and so you plug it in, and you also had no volume control, so it like automatically chose your volume for, which was like obviously the the drop but yeah it's like it's small it had the the gun zoom thing where you can set it so that if you're using a zoom lens it changes the i think it's using the onboard mics and that mic and to using like some like phase cancellation to like <laughs> try and seem like the the mic is zooming in this is too. a feature i want to test on the new iphone uh, i wanted to have it in the video i already published but I, I didn't get a chance to really try it is they have audio zoom built into it too now so when you like punch in in telephoto mode the mic does exactly that like isolation of a little bit of local noise canceling targets in on what's a little more directly in front i assume that's all it's doing because it, it can't reach any further. It's like boosting. Yeah, yeah the like signal. physically nothing's changing. But, right? it does so. ha- but since it has multiple microphones, it could be doing like live noise cancellation. Yeah. Listen to what is close, like closest in proximity to the other mic. Triangulation, basically. Yeah. And then and cancel then, out the axis that you don't want. Yeah. Like, which is yeah. crazy science. It's really oh. cool. <laughs> so that's an advantage versus just a, you know, little mic jack that yeah. doesn't have any smart features yeah. really on it. Yeah. No, they're relatively expensive, though, aren't they? I think. Wait, the Sony mics comparatively to like on-camera shotgun mics. Yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know but what the US dollar is. Handy. I don't know. I might. I'm going to take a closer look. Yeah, yeah. It's I cool really that like the, the newest one has all those all the controls on the back. So that that was the biggest problem with the older one is that like like I said, there's no volume control whatsoever. Yeah. Even if I plugged it into a, a camera that had volume control, it still automatically would set the volume for me, which was I thought was super weird. What are your guys's primary cameras? I use for photo. I use the A7 III quite a bit, which seems weird. Why wouldn't I get the R right? But because I also want to have the video, so it's like a, it's a hybrid for me. But I mostly use it with photos. And then for video these days, I'm. Uh, I recently switched to using Blackmagic more often for my most of my YouTube stuff. Pocket 4K, I was playing with the 6K a little bit. Before that, it was a lot of like Panasonic GH5, that kind of thing. I still have all these cameras and I cycle them in and out. So, But I would say if it was a quick answer, it'd be like Pocket 4K for video, A7 III for photo, and... When I'm in when I'm in a place like this, and I only want to bring one camera, I'll, I'll do video on the Sony and you know get it done. Yeah, I've been rocking the 6400 for the past probably three or four months as kind of my main camera. 6500 was my backup, and then uh, recently, like just a week ago, bought an A7 III, so I've been oh, using that. So like exciting. coming here, it was funny because I get to test all this gear, and it's like I just kind of want to play with mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mine yeah. totally. Yeah. The A7 III is, I mean, on this podcast when it came out, I was like very positive on it, and I do think. I mean, what I said about it then, I still think is true, is that it like brought down the price of a professional quality camera. Some of the build stuff isn't quite where I'd want to be. Like I was talking about the screen, but it means that for you know a thousand dollars less than what you'd spend on a Canon, you have something that will produce like very professional photography that like you could shoot kind of any job with, unless you need unless you really need a lot of resolution. It can keep up with. Anything at a very reasonable price, just with video capabilities to, to match, and basically. yeah, and video that is also professional, totally level. So I think when I when it first came out, my review said something, some sort of catchy title like probably the best value camera of all time or something like that. And I get people to comment on that now and say, "Do you still think that?" Now that it's been a while, and I think yes, mm-hmm. I still think it's probably the best value proposition that that I mean. 
people have made the same camera since then and sold it for about the same amount. But right. yeah. like, I mean, when that one came out, I, I still think it holds the title. Probably. I haven't seen a. I don't know, Fuji X-T3 was pretty great value too, but there's just something about the A7, it was like, it was a bit magic, I think, and I think nobody's made that same magic again on whatever the new thing would be. Yeah, yeah. well, I think, and I think that there's a lot of people in that APS-C world that saw the price of that full-frame camera and were like, well, why would I APS-C when I could full-frame for Not really only more. a couple hundred dollars more? You know, even the, like, like the, the ACC 600 is like, 1400 and the the a7 III is only two grand and if you're going to buy the same lenses for your 6600 i mean i know they have the crop lenses but let's face it some of your favorite lenses are probably full frame glad mm-hmm. yeah. i'll be able to use the same lenses anyway next thing you know yeah you're in a yeah. full frame camera again so yeah, yeah. I, well i i'm trying to introduce a new segment to the show so if anybody wants to ask questions hashtag ask stallman is is the thing there but a question i got this week that just this, this just reminded me of somebody had the opportunity to trade an a7 III for an a7 r3 Mm-hmm. with a friend who like wanted to just straight whatever. up one yeah one. just like wanted to trade and is it worth it and i think he there's a little confusion there which leads into a topic i want to bring up of confusion in cameras but um of like he that it's it's sharper was one of the words he used like because i know i know it's higher resolution and it's sharper so like should i switch and i think that is a, con- a confused way to look at the difference of those sensors because the perceived sharpness will be the same on pretty much any of these really like nobody looking at your photos in any realistic size is going to see the much more expensive higher resolution a7r3 or a7r4 as being sharper like that's not that's not visible and i'm also not sure that sharper is even the right word i mean and not this i don't even think this is a technical conversation but i think like you need to have somewhat separation so you can achieve your goals and i think sharper we're talking about focusing Mm -hmm. like it's like you got to get those rays like so close together right that's like sharpness but if you have more detail or more resolution or like a cleaner image yeah you'll get that with a higher resolution you will that's just what it is are you going to zoom in enough that you'll care if you're looking at instagram it's like like i think you could probably do like 16 maybe 12 megapixels on instagram and get away with it right so oh even less i mean realistically they only they only allow you to put up a, it's basically a two megapixel right. picture. <laughs> but I mean, but your image could still be tack sharp. Yeah. yeah, totally. just, you know, so. yeah I mean, think yeah. about it this way, that Sony, if they wanted to, which they wouldn't, or any company, they could build a two megapixel camera with a full frame sensor that would have tack sharp photos. I mean, they were at the beginning, like Fuji's older uh, SLRs or DSLRs from like 2004 or whatever, uh, when, or everybody, when they were just getting into it, go back and look at those photos at a normal viewing size, they are still yeah. sharp. Yeah, I still have it's them on not, my computer. Yeah. Like I have six megapixel photos on my computer. You know, from when I totally. from when I took them on those on yeah. those cameras. Yeah, and I've seen eight megapixel photos I've taken on billboards, and yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Like, it's, I, it's fine. Yeah. You know, there's a cool video that was done where they got like a billboard printed and saw that like the pixels were like this <laughs> yeah, thing. Like, like you can foot. make the pixels so big because it's so far away yeah. too that it's like people think you have to have a 60 megapixel or a medium format or whatever kind of camera to shoot billboards. Mm-hmm. But it's like you have to remember that the bigger you print it, the further away it's probably going to be well, from right, whoever's looking at it. Focus and you depth of field both have two directions of it. There's the direction that we always think as people who take it where you know well it's based on our aperture or it's based on our focal length but then there's also the viewing side of focus and depth of field which is how far away is your viewing position what is the size of the actual 
pixels or, or if you're printing, you know, your dot, your actual printed dots, how big are they relative to where you're looking at it? And then you get the exact same creation of little circles of confusion and little bit because it goes on both sides of it, right? So if your presentation is a billboard seen from two, three hundred meters away, well, it doesn't need to be 150 megapixels or whatever. Yeah, you know? the, the real application for more resolution is cropping to me. Absolutely. That's, that's when yeah. it actually gets used. Totally. So, I don't know. Yeah. I guess that's the answer to that question. It's like, it's not the, the value of an R, of a, of a high resolution camera, is only there if you can use it. If you are never go, if you never find yourself wishing for extra megapixels, you you may have more disadvantages by dealing with that additional file size. Well, and the, the, the disadvantage straight away that I think is if you're going to shoot video, then on the A7R 3 you basically should be shooting crop. And, and the guys that were at the, the gear um, rental place or whatever here were saying the same thing. Like if you're going to shoot the A7R 4 or A7R 3 in video, like just use crop, it's going to look better. Right. Because you don't want all it's those megapixels bad. in, in <laughs> yeah. video. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, unless... They could somehow make it an 8K video, yeah. but <laughs> the cameras aren't equipped to deal with that many pixels qu- yeah. quickly enough. The camera would melt, so, yeah. You, yeah, so you, yeah, have totally. to, you either have to throw them away or crop them away. Yeah. But one way or another, they got to go. And cropping them away is cleaner than yeah. than throwing away yeah, half of I your. They, they must bin in, in yeah, full frame or just or, or literally just throw away lines of resolution, yeah, which yeah. means that you're losing your noise advantages and your uh, your your color resolution and stuff like that. You're going to get. You're losing a lot of the perks of having a high detailed, you know, photo because they can't deal with the six was it sixty one megapixels? Yeah. yeah. Too many. Can't deal yeah. with that. <laughs> I can't deal with it. There is a there is a perk though that sometimes you can twist it to where it does have an application. Uh I, I thought a lot when I when I heard the original announcement for the A seven R four, I couldn't get it out of my head was wildlife photographers because they had this camera that is very fast, focuses really fast, it's got what animal IAF, it's you know, ten frames a second, all that stuff that like a birder would want, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like sixty one megapixels. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. matter what lenses you use. Well, a hobby hobbyist birder probably doesn't have the four hundred millimeter, the fluoride, it's a new lens. The four, the <laughs> Flo- four fluoride, the fluoride millimeter. <laughs> a, a hobbyist birder probably doesn't have the four hundred millimeter two point eight. So maybe they're using a shorter lens, uh, and so now they can crop, like you said, and they're not losing. They're not throwing away a lot because there's sixty one yeah, megapixels. And, and I think start, you're going to yeah. have better results from like a higher qual. If you had an expensive, high quality. 100 millimeter lens cropped in, you might have better results than a cheap 300, 400 millimeter zoom. That exactly. If you pair it the with, len- a, with a high yeah, res sensor. Where yeah. the lens resolution is poor. Yeah. I agreed. And, and so, and now they, they're not, usually if you want to get, because before there was like a trade off, you had to make a deal with yourself. It's like, am I going to spend the money on the lens? And then the camera is one thing, but if you get a higher resolution camera, often it lacked those, that speed that you needed, right? So, so they would, get whatever camera was fast enough and buy a really expensive lens. Well, now they can sort of have their cake and eat. It's, it's an expensive body, but it's like for, for somebody who's in wildlife photographers that I know, they spend money on their yeah, hobby. Yeah. Like it's an expensive totally, hobby, totally, right? Yeah. That's why I get into it. So an A7R4 is a great, great proposition. It's like I can keep the speed and now I can crop like a like a monster because even when they use good lenses, usually the, the wildlife is still quite small in the frame. That's yeah. just the way it works. Wildlife photographers crop all day long. So yeah. that's one case where the megapixels count, yeah. but not for video. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> or even, you know, I mean, even if you just want to shoot it with the, the crop mode on, 
you're still you're still looking at like a yeah a now you have a 900 mil lens or whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's like it's like a 26 mega it's yeah. actually more megapixels than the crop bodies that you could buy which i know a lot of people do get the crop bodies for exactly yeah. for that fact that you're just like you can get a you know the whatever it is 24 to 100 sure. or 105 and you're actually getting closer to that 160 or whatever This episode is brought to you by Spark Camera. The folks over there at Spark Camera, the developers that are working hard and are as excited as you are about the new iPhone 11, have been busy making some very cool new features. Now, I got to tell you, since they uh, sponsored the show, I do have some privileges with that. I get to use occasional early versions of their app. So I kind of forget which things have been released to you guys right now. But hopefully by the time you hear this, all of the new iPhone 11 features will be out, and these guys are on it. They're not just sitting back and coasting. They know that you rely on your phone to make professional, creative content. And even if it's not professional like a job, it's professional like you're making really good content. So you want it to be awesome, and you want to be using those latest features. So you might have seen the stories from Camera Camp where I was able to zoom all the way in and out, and especially do some ultra-wide stories, which look crazy and really interesting. I'm going to be doing this a lot. You guys are going to be seeing a lot of ultra wide. Spark camera makes it super easy. So what it is, if I didn't already explain this earlier, is a simple app where you press and hold to start recording your video. And then you're able to quickly move some handlebars to change the edit. And the fact that I can just describe it so quickly and easily might make it sound too simple. Like, oh, you know, what useful video can you edit with such simple tools? I'll tell you what, you can make some pretty great edits really quickly. And you know what? There is stuff beyond the basics. You can also add music or a voiceover or transitions between the cuts. There's a whole bunch of stuff hiding below the surface so that in just a few minutes, you can create very sophisticated, very cool edits in Spark Camera. If you want to know more, which I think you do, you should go to sparkcamera.com slash Stallman to check it out. Or of course, there is a link in the description. You can click that. But either way, Thank you so much to Spark Camera for supporting the show. Um, so this is also, this is the episode after iPhone 11. I don't know how much you guys, actually, we haven't talked about phones much, so I don't know what phones you guys use or if you care about iPhones, but and I'm hand, a terrible hands up phone if you consumer. just don't care. But I, I do have a phone. Yeah. I mean, I use it for photos <laughs> you, and stuff. What do you like to call? Ghostbusters, okay. mostly. Yeah. <laughs> Donna, what do we do? <laughs> I use the XR. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or 10R or yeah, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. Nobody, nobody attacked me back here. Um, anyway, the, the yeah, last episode I had the first 24 hours with the phone. And even, like, I guess it'd be fun to just talk about that video experience because, like, it was, it was really crazy. Because I, I didn't realize that I was going to be able to, like, walk away with the phone. I knew I was going to get a preview of it when we went to New York and then I was able to take it out for the day. Yeah. So all of a sudden it's like, wait, now we have to do an interesting video because I can't just do like a news video of like, look, it's in my hands. I have to somehow make this interesting. So we went around and shot a lot of samples and tried to make it like pretty good. But um, now I've had a little more time to actually really shoot with it. The biggest thing is doing some real night mode samples, which is great here because there's no street lights in New York. That was a problem. Shooting samples in New York, it's super bright. Like at night, it's bright. And I think what a lot of people don't realize about night mode is like the darkness that it's looking for is very dark. The advantage of it comes in like a restaurant with just candles, that kind of low light. And so last night we were setting it up on a tripod, giving it, um, how the, I realized also you can turn up the exposures past 10 seconds. I thought it was max 10. I think it was going up to 30 seconds. 
And yeah, it does that thing where on the 10R, it's black. There is there is nothing there. And then it's like a properly exposed, like long exposure. So that's the big difference. I don't think it's like, it's actually doing magic. It's that now it can do long exposures like you would shoot on a real right. camera and they look like proper long exposures. And is that just in the in the standard camera app? Yeah. Or is so that you're not using like... It's all automatic. Like yeah. it just, it turns itself on when it sees the light going low enough, which can be a little frustrating as a, as a pro, but third party apps will be able to do the, the higher end stuff, yeah. I think so. Is there still, do you still wait the 30 seconds though? <laughs> it doesn't instantly fast forward time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I wasn't sure if it was like a long exposure, like computationally, or, uh, or you take it no, and, it's and a long then exposure. 30 seconds, like in post, it does it. Cause you know, sometimes like I use the pixel and you'll take a photo, right. take it right away. But and then, then you're waiting. A little bit later yeah, yeah. on, all of a sudden, the, the dynamic range changed on it. That's you know, something like, that really bugs me about the Pixel, actually. And I feel like isn't represented properly in, in reviews is that the the Pixel's quality is great, but most of it doesn't do real time. So you're always doing that. You take a photo and then you like take a look and you're like, oh, oh, there it is. Okay, now I see it. Whereas the iPhone, you're almost always seeing what it's going to be immediately. And to me, that has a big impact on shooting. Like imagine looking through your EVF and it was... Just complete, there's no depth of field, or there's like it was completely different. They have that, it's called a film camera, okay. Well, <laughs> no, but, that's re- but then you're seeing reality, reality, so. you know. Like, uh, the, the disconnect with the pixel was always frustrating to me, even though the final results were so. Fantastic. With the iPhone, you take it and it actually goes 10 seconds, it's gathering yes, you're light waiting for 10 seconds, for 10 seconds. Okay. and also a, a lot of that is uh, noise removal as well. Sure. One of the big changes to the sensor is they cranked the ISO sensitivity up. I don't remember the numbers because there's a lot of zero. Like it's much higher than the scale of ISO on a phone is very different from normal cameras. Like they don't go down to 100; they go down to like 25, and then now it goes up to like 200,000 or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and but it, they like doubled it or tripled it or some large amount of how much faster it is. So part of it's they crank the ISO up like crazy now, and then do this longer exposure to start doing noise removal and canceling out a lot of the noise because. When I uh, when when Apple is showing me the examples with people, it feels like it's sort of capturing a reference frame, like it's getting like a a sharpness frame of like here's here's the people not being too motion blurry, and then the rest of it is like doing the computational like bringing the level up. I don't know. It's like giving it the it's extra like kind of data, filling like, in the rest of it. Yeah, it's like okay, now we know what the shape where the high contrast areas are, and we're going to so keep like, like, it's keep like that a frequency sharpness. separation almost yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, exactly. So the like sharpness is almost separate from the lifting of the light and the yeah. color. Obviously, I'm just guessing at what it's really doing, sure. but it's that sounds really neat. if it's nobody's so doing that, they should start doing totally, that because that yeah. sounds very <laughs> no. This but it, it's just interesting from a photography perspective where you learn all these traditional ways of doing things and then you see a computer doing it in some new way that you never thought about before. You're like, oh, like photography is complicated. Yeah. And the idea of a photo being unfiltered or unprocessed just really doesn't exist. Well, that's what they call it, right? Is complicational photography? (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) You're definitely been following this news, haven't you? I What's wonder, this new I'll, complicational photography I keep hearing about? <laughs> I wonder what what's if when we're going to start seeing that implemented into camera cameras. You know, yeah. like obviously the 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 uh, artificial intelligence or whatever they want to call it that they're using in cameras now is or in the Sony stuff anyway is more about the autofocus, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, like trying to whatever it is real time autofocus or predictable or whatever it's called. Um, but yeah, like the actual like 
trying to maybe just figure out the um, the exposure better so that your meter is more accurate or it's it's more options as far as like you can tell what's metering or you know those kinds of things yeah. and there's there's a bunch of it in there but just like we we look at these crazy computers in our pockets that are able to do this and they're no they're i mean significantly smaller than what we're using in our in our big cameras yeah. it's like how long until we start to see that in more professional cameras I kind of too hope never that's <laughs> and i mean that's that's definitely one argument too is that like the the reason that we have these cameras is because we want to choose all those things and we don't want yeah, a computer that's, making that's part of it right yeah. making the choices I, I don't know i feel like once you have it you'll start appreciating it i mean it's like because there's all these things that just make our lives easier that if we trying to go back, like you could also have said that, like, I like that when I shoot film, I choose the ISO ahead of time because then I have to think about it and make more conscious decisions about my photography. And then I have to pull the film out and go to ISO 800 as light goes down. But like, that's actually, it's actually getting in your way of something. And we don't know what those blocks are right now. That's fair. Yeah. And I don't know, like maybe you'll hate, you'll probably hate the first generation of it, but it'll I also better. never use the auto features on the cameras. So maybe they are doing yeah, some of that already stuff. Doing all this, yeah. I, I just don't know. But I think the, the processors just aren't as fast. Yeah. Like it's not the same kind of computer as in a phone. Yeah. Um, and I, I had that conversation a few times while we've been at camp here. And a lot of people brought up the Samsung, uh, what was that called? Where there was a smartphone in a camera. Does anybody remember this? The N some. Is oh. it like NX3 or something? Yes. Is that it? That's it. Anyway, I never had it. But other people are like, yeah, they were on their way there. Like it was, oh, Max, Max Uriev was talking about his NX3 okay. and he's got three of them and he's still in love with them. But then Sony or uh, Samsung shut down their camera division right after it. But yeah, I mean, it was like putting whatever the latest Android chip is in there and like it can do all the stuff, but then yeah. it went away. You know, the old uh, um, Play Memories app that was <laughs> in the older ones was an Android based thing that's yeah. how they were able to hack it and get the like oh, to disable the, yeah you could get time lapsing oh, and disable weird. the record limit and yeah. all that kind of stuff because it was all just based out of android and now the new one well they took out oh, uh, so now you can't hack know. them that's anymore yeah but then they gave mm. you time lapse and unlimited recording right. so <laughs> i wanted to hit on a, a bigger general topic and um i didn't make notes i should have made notes so i'm probably gonna be stumbling over thinking of good examples here but about Things people get wrong about cameras, things people like misunderstand about how cameras actually work. And I, I was, I think I was maybe especially feeling this because the, the iPhone video got more comments from the general public than usual. Like whenever I do iPhone stuff, it's like a wider audience than follows me directly. And I always kind of underestimate how much they really understand w- w- what a camera even is. Something, something I was seeing a lot in the comments is kind of not. Uh, realizing, okay, here's the thing that I actually appreciate about what Apple's doing is understanding that they use the same nomenclature for the lenses so that like a wide lens in Apple terms is the same as what we would call a wide lens. Oh, okay. And then ultra, which is uh, 26 millimeters. Then a ultra wide is 13 millimeters, which is actually ultra, ultra. Like I don't, I don't know anything. It's 13 millimeters. It's like crazy wide. Like 16 is usually wide enough as wide as it goes yeah um, or for in ultra wide yeah. yeah but then i think they mess some people up by calling the 52 millimeter a telephoto so that, that's kind of a good place yeah, to start it's actually standard yeah it's that's like standard i call that a normal i go with 70 yeah. 70 plus yeah. i think is where you start with a telly yeah and then like 35 to 70 would be like your normal for sure you know, yeah then wide. okay so that. here's just the thing i think a lot of people get wrong and it's totally because of marketing it's like they'll see a zoom on, on their camera or on their phone or whatever. 
And their feeling is like, that's great, so I don't have to get any closer to the subject. This is so convenient. I just want to say from a photographer's perspective, never use a longer lens because you to avoid getting closer. Only do it if like you can't possibly get closer. Or there's something about that lens distance that you prefer. Like if you are choosing to, to do that. You need that tighter field of view totally. for some reason. Yeah. But it's it's really, really common that people will just stand in one place and they'll zoom in and out and be until they see everything they want. Like, great, now I've got my photo. But that makes for terrible photos. Yeah. It's so, so important to walk around. That's why I think everybody should uh, you start you can start with a zoom lens if you want, like get your twenty four to one if this is for a camera though, not a not a phone, sure, right? Yeah. But get a kit lens, your twenty four to one oh five, whatever, right? And then pop open your photos after you've shot a lot of them in Lightroom or whatever, and it shows your focal length even when you're using a zoom, right? And see where you tend to shoot. Yeah. Say that you're like, oh, you're, if you're like me, you probably find you're in that thirty five to forty zone a lot, right? So then go get yourself a thirty five millimeter prime. And then shoot only with that. And you'll find you crawling in between chairs and up over stuff and everything to get the shot yeah. because there's, you got to zoom with your feet. Yeah. And it also, I think, helps you both understand composition better, well, your physical, the physicality of composition, as well as being more creative with that composition. Because, yeah, there's just some sort of like lazy brain default thing mm-hmm. where you just kind of like, with yeah, the zoom, yeah. and then now you're composing different. You're I, not getting I, in seeing it. I heard know? tips like that when I was getting started. And I've realized since then what ends up happening, the, the problem comes from whatever is behind your subject a lot of the time. So if you just zoom in and nothing moves, the thing behind them can just turn into like a flat wall or a pole coming out from behind their head. Exactly. Or like you don't, you stop paying attention to the overall composition. Maybe you're looking at where the person sits That's in the frame. That's not seeing it. You got yeah. to even hold your camera just at your chin. And just yeah, kind of yeah. like you got, got like right now when I'm looking at you, I can see the wall moving behind your head. You know, yeah, that's something I, I think people like, miss with composition a lot is they look at the the subject, the main thing that's right in front of them, and that's all that they're worried about. But so much of it is that like moving back and f- if you can't hear the squeaking, <laughs> squeaking, <laughs> squeaking chair here, uh, that's so much of finding the composition is lining them up with everything behind them and all the layers of foreground and. And I think end. if you limit what they can do in, with their hands, then. I don't know what I'm saying they, but you get the point. <laughs> the, the theoretical photographer we're talking about here. Sure. Then you force them to be more creative with their eyes, their head, and their feet. And you got, because you got to get the shot, right? Because yeah. you can't do anything else with this. And so I think that's a big, uh, a big learning. That's an important step in being the, the next step up in being a better photographer. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I always like, cause, uh, my, my channel, I get a lot of those like, what's okay. What's my first lens? What, what should it be? Mm-hmm. And then like, once I'm ready to, you know, upgrade or whatever, like what's that second step. And it's, uh, a lot of it for me has been the, the Sigma trio, uh, for, for APS-C and people want to know like, Oh, do I get the 16 or get the 30? And I use that same thing where I'm like, well, do you have the kit lens? Did you get the 16 to 50? They're like, yeah. Okay. Go shoot with it a whole bunch, get into Lightroom, see where you're sitting with it. Mm-hmm. And then that's, that that's the one you probably want <laughs> yeah. because now you'll get the, you know, it's sharper. It's got the F 1.4, that kind of thing. And then you get out and you get to, you get to learn a whole lot by having to move around. And, and especially, I, I mean, Again, to be the guy who says, like, also for videographers, that that moving background is that you guys right. are talking about is is even more important, probably because you have to keep that in mind for how's that looking moving, not just like how's it going to look when I take the final photo, but like now that whole thing is going to be moving and and depending on what lens you're choosing and that kind of thing, it's going to be it's going to give a whole different feel to the movement of yeah. the camera. So, the confusion I see is in first lens choices. 
the default seems to be it's like, okay, they get a kit lens or go get a nifty 50, get a 50 millimeter 1.8. They're cheap. They look good. Quality is decent. They get blurry backgrounds. This is very basic, but a lot of people don't realize how close that is on a crop sensor. Which totally. If it's their first big that's camera. It's a portrait lens on a prob- crop sensor. Yeah, like. It is a very close lens. That's a telephoto lens exactly. once yeah. it's on yeah. a crop yeah. sensor. <laughs> um, so I don't know. It's just a little thing. Like, be aware. Yeah. And maybe you look at some other things like in the Canon world, there's the 24 2.8 pancake lens. Yeah. Super, super great lens. Like, very sharp, very versatile, very small, cheap. On a crop so, body so, that'll get you that thirty-five, that thirty-five street yeah, shooter if you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like I mean, I know it's not one point eight, but but then there's also you know there's thirty uh, the twenty-eight millimeter two in the Sony world. I use for everything, but that'd be a great crop lens too. Yeah, totally. And I did the same thing when I first bought my my A six thousand a couple of years ago, and I got the kit lens, and then immediately right after because everybody said to do it i went and got that 51.8 and i was like i can't use this anywhere yeah. like it's, I, it's a good le- like it's, it's good a, it's to a good have lens, you should but, have it someday yeah. but it's not as versatile yeah as a 35 would have been yeah. much more because that would have given me that 50 ish kind of look or a 30 or whatever and eventually i did get the i think 30 macro and then eventually the the Sigma 30, which is like one of my favorite crop lenses. And that's what I shoot or did shoot all of my talking head segments in my studio setup kind of thing on. And uh, yeah, so I think that that's, that is a big uh, uh, confusion is that like nifty 50 thing. It's like that only really works if you're on full frame. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, I'd like my, my go-to thing is like get a, get a as versatile a zoom lens as you can to start with to find oh, out. It's lunchtime. I don't know if the bell's coming through the mics, but yeah, <laughs> something's happening. But it feels very camp. I, that's yeah. what I like. It. The soup's <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, like I always say, like yeah, the eighteen to one hundred five for crop uh, the F four is kind of my go to to tell people like go get that. See if you like to shoot. You know, depending on what you're shooting, like see see what you end up shooting, and then if you want to sell that one and get a bunch of primes that fit around what you're what yeah. you use most, like that makes the most sense. Also, people get confused about the fact that like prime lenses aren't versatile lenses necessarily. Like they're like, oh, what's the best lens for uh, landscape oh, and portrait? And do you, you guys know? get as many? What's the best lens? What's the best camera? Questions yeah, as I, I oh, sympathize man. with it because you got yeah. limited money. Right? Totally. Well, yeah, of course. You know, it's it's mostly the that they misunderstand how complicated that the, simplifying the phrasing oh, sure. makes it a very useless question because you always like, have to ask a few follow-ups if you want it's yeah, either if it's you a want conversation. to give the answer it's like well what are you yeah. shooting and yeah. and you know what what this and what's that and eventually you can kind of come up with three answers yeah even after you yeah, know yeah. everything yeah. And i mean so that's just like a warning to anybody that writes any of us it's like it's we might get if we give you a one-word answer it's because we're being lazy we're not we're being less helpful than you think it's <laughs> you know to to get a good answer out of that i think it takes at least half an hour to an hour conversation to like figure like really where are you at like how what kind of budget do you have what kind of how committed are you to this in the long run that's a know? good point too yeah, yeah. mount yeah. choices and stuff yeah yeah and i mean like there's there's also the the comments that you get that are like what's the best what was the one that i said i got this morning it was uh what's the best zoom lens for low light uh, except I don't want the new 16 to 55 <laughs> oh, yeah. F2.8 because it's too expensive. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, okay, so you, you had the right idea, the 16 to 55, because it's 2.8, you're going to be a little bit better in low light than a lot of the zoom lenses are. But if all of a sudden that one's too expensive. Do like, you have $3,300? Yeah, yeah, like, like- <laughs> you, you can't, then you, there's really nothing better. Like get the 18 to 105 and deal with the F4 in low light, you know, like, and then again, even that is like, I have to, I have to go through a whole yeah. conversation, a whole paragraph to try and explain that. And obviously like, I mean, like you said, you sympathize with the, with the people that are asking the For question because sure. yeah, they yeah. wouldn't be asking if they if they knew right so you, you got you sympathize with that but it's always it's always interesting to try and figure out how to answer in a way that actually helps them without just being like you're 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 putting yourself in too much of a box it's not gonna work you know like my, my thing that it's I, it's a little bit of like being a snarky jerk sometimes but when sometimes I'll, I'll post something like oh i'm using this thing really loving it right and somebody will ask like you know, oh, like that lens. Let's say, is it is it really that good? I, I've heard this or that, and like, I'll just reply with like, yes, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> with, I, I wouldn't be that, talking about it. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. why I made a video about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Is it really that good? Actually, because- <laughs> that's funny. Like general comment that'll come back a lot. It'll be like, so I just watched your whole video about this topic. Um, yeah, is like, did you actually mean what you said? And it's like. No, rewatch the. You can rewatch the video if you yeah. want. <laughs> Winky emoji. Yeah. Yeah. This video is sponsored by Thought Police. But I think a lot of people should also understand that, like, if you're writing into YouTubers to get gear advice and get information, I mean, it's there's so much higher of a payoff for us to make a video about that topic than to participate in all the individual conversations. Which, like, I'm sure we all try to as much as like we can find time, but the, doing those individual responses. Um, I think are less like less productive in general than when we like realize like okay here's a bunch of questions that have come in lately let's try to bring them together into yeah. an overall topic that everybody that watches it now understands. Do you guys do you guys drop your own links as answers to people's questions? Yeah. I have when it's specific. Yeah, yeah, like when people are like, "Oh, what what lens should I buy for the APS-C?" It's like I have a video called "What lens should I buy for APS-C?" Yeah, exactly. Like in that go case, watch for it. sure, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I just yeah. post Gerald's links. They, yeah, I do Gerald's actually <laughs> yeah. a good amount too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean like the the helpful thing on Gerald's if anybody haven't haven't watched it, it's the it's like the most in-depth technical stuff that I've yeah. seen and it how, how did you actually learn a lot of the like more advanced things that most of us don't know or are you just doing the research as you do the video normally it's because I like I've followed probably the same path that anybody else would at some point and maybe the difference is that the way that I seek out the answers or how interested I am in the answers I think you know you can make it from a simple joke to uh this guy's got way too much time in his hands. I guess that's me, right? So when you come up with a regular obstacle that any one of us would have when we started with photography or whatever, I will go read like physics books on yeah. like on how well, like the optics work, and like, then you try and keep it as much as you can. A dumb thing that we, I think, all us like professional photographers get wrong too is like we don't really understand the relationship of like focal length numbers to f stops versus t stops versus like all of the numbers we just throw around all the time. Like they only mean the way that I'm used to using it. Yeah, they get they they get the job done. Yeah, and you use them in terms of like you know some sort of indicator on your equipment. Yeah, more so than some sort of formula, which is essentially what it is. The the f stop is an actual small little equation, and everything there is representative. The f that fancy little violin f mm-hmm. it is is a it replaces right. an actual yeah it's number. a letter in equation right? exactly yeah. So what, I mean, what's that equation again? So you it's for it's it's head, the right? it's the diameter of the entrance pupil. So uh, there's a few different ways you can like any equation you can arrange it in different orders depending on what you're trying to solve. Wait, but so a, slow it down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, 
anytime that you do you know, a simple equation, you can change the order of it in order for it to best serve whatever variable you're trying to figure out. But I think the, one of the classic ones is probably D or whatever, diameter of the entrance pupil equals F over the focal number, the, the, the N in this case, right? And so when you say you have an F slash, the slash is important. It's not a slash, it's a, div- it's a divide. What? It's a divide okay. symbol. Okay, okay, good so, <laughs> so it's F divided by 2.8. Yeah. What's F? It's your focal length. So if you have a 50 millimeter lens. I didn't know this guy. Say you have a 50 F2. or you Yeah, so a 50 F2, let's say, right? I don't know if that's even a thing, but let's say that it is, okay? That's 50 millimeters at F2 would be divided by 2 is 25 millimeters. That's the diameter of your entrance pupil. And your entrance pupil is what your aperture looks like when you look down the lens. You know, it right. always looks not, big. Not the, yeah, it's, you did address this in one video. Yeah. It's not the end, which will, wait, what's the word for that? Where you screw on your filters, which is the... Right, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, it, that's it's where the, it seems to exist, it's, but it's, it's like... like it's like where the illu- sensor is, basically. Like, But it's the, like an illusion. When you, when you, it's just like looking down at binoculars, a telescope, or anything else. When you look at it, you're actually seeing the aperture, which is way down there, like closer to the sensor, but it's being magnified, I guess it'd be a way, by the optics. So you're actually seeing that little aperture as this giant circle. And when you have a telephoto lens, if you look down the barrel of that 400 mil or whatever, it's like the size of your face right, at the yeah. end of the barrel, right? But it's still, the aperture isn't that, where would they fit that down the lens? It's impossible for it to fit there. And actually, there's your answer to, how do I do that? One day, I was I was like looking into the formula and it's a diameter of the entrance people, but I never knew that. So before that, I thought, it's your aperture. It says the F number is your aperture. And so I looked at the formula. It's focal length divided by that F number. That's your aperture. And then I thought, well, if it's in millimeters, that's impossible. And I got the tape measure out. And I measured closer down the lens. I measured right. how wide it was. It's like you couldn't possibly fit. I think I was using a 300 millimeter 2.8, right? And I was like, it's, it's only like 90 millimeters wide there. I couldn't possibly fit in 138 or whatever millimeter aperture in there. It would be like, it's impossible. Yeah. And so I had to look up how, what do they mean then? And eventually once you research enough, you find out, oh, it's what, what the aperture looks like looking down the lens. And so it's you a, measure it I, at I the end of the up. lens? Yeah, then? it almost yeah. works. You can hold yeah. up a little ruler, like a translucent ruler. And if yeah. you look at it, if you hold it up to the front of your lens and you look kind of like optically, like how big does the aperture appear to be Man, from weird. the front of the lens? That's why it's the entrance people because the light is entering in. Yeah. And that's actually the deciding factor of depth of field as well. It's not the aperture exclusively or the focal length exclusively, it's the diameter of the entrance pupil because of that formula, right? Yeah. It and comes for, down to one number. For anyone who's confused, just maybe <laughs> yeah. there'll be a link in the show notes. <laughs> we're, or, we're nodding, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're, we're nodding and feeling, <laughs> I'm going to need that link. If, yeah, we'll uh, watch the video. <laughs> yeah. but, but in that, I think it shows the answer, right? Is that for me, I saw something that mathematically didn't make any sense and I needed to know the answer. Yeah. I needed to. And once I figured it out, I thought, yeah, we'll make a video on that. You I, don't, know, really. I don't meet a lot of people because I'm like that too, but I don't meet a lot of people that take it like as far as you do, I think. Like I, I, I'm the same way. Like I'm uh, I had a, a teacher when I was in college who used to call me the why guy, and I would make classes take longer than they needed to because I'm sitting there always asking, like it, it wasn't enough that they gave me what was happening. I needed to know why it was happening and why that was happening and all that kind of stuff. But you take it to to next level. It's I not, like it. If yeah, I, no, I, it's it's I don't think if somebody's gotta do it. Yeah. yeah. And you, and it's made you the you're the YouTuber in the in the camera space that other YouTubers suggest yeah i think because of that we because, don't want to do that much we, research <laughs> exactly yeah i try to pack it into 
15 minutes of your time yeah. instead of and then however we, many hours it took me. <laughs> yeah, but if you played it back at regular talking speed, it would actually be like 45 minutes. Yeah. So it's very helpful. It's, you, somebody, you have a built-in 2X. If you want a fun time, watch a Gerald and Nunn video at, at half speed uh, because the voice isn't that slow, but I sound like really drunk. Like <laughs> really, really, really drunk. Somebody says it on Twitter and I was like, all right, I'll give it a whirl. Yeah. It's pretty funny. It's pretty <laughs> it's funny. Right. Yeah. I'm sure your podcast player has it, so you can do it to this episode right now. There you go. Yeah. On that last little explanation, listen yeah. to that at half speed. <laughs> Okay, we're going to wrap things up now with a Ask Stallman, and I picked one out here that is relevant for you guys, so I feel like you can answer. It's a bit of an age-old question. He's asking it specifically in terms of Canon. This is from Philip. With Canon withholding 24p from its lower-end cameras, what are your thoughts on 25p or 30p for wedding films? Let's talk about it more generally than, than that, about just like choosing between different frame rates. Again, Gerald, one of your demo videos was very helpful in seeing uh, the differences between like how 30, 24, and 60 are perceived. So I'll drop that link in there. But what do you guys shoot in and how do you choose it? Yeah, I'm 24 most of the time just because, I mean, because I like the way that it looks. I th- the, the fact that they're starting to take it out, I think is, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of that. Obviously, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a Canon shooter myself, so it, it affects me zero. Yeah. But like just the fact that they're taking away that option, I think that like the reason that we buy cameras that are as expensive as they are is because it gives us the options and stuff. You know, like if you're the kind of person who's going to get the A6400, you bought it maybe for the option of having a flip screen or you bought it for the option of having the specific autofocus features or whatever it is. So to all of a sudden, especially because they're taking them away like the 90d used to be there yeah it's like it's the next upgrade and they're like you know what but we're gonna take this one thing out so it's really to me like as as far as the the argument of 30p or 25p or frames per second i should say um it doesn't really matter it's supposed to be in my opinion a, a a choice that you make so like if if 25 looks great to you then that's good and i mean that's pretty darn close to 24 i haven't done the experiments maybe that you can speak it's, to that if you i have, mean you, it's it's hard to tell you can't yeah, yeah. So, so like i mean one thought i had seeing this was like well i could just use them and shoot everything in 25 because like that's fine yeah i don't i don't have a problem with 25 it's more about like okay now am i switching everything to 25 to match the one cheapest camera i have that can't support this so yeah. and um yeah i mean I, you're right about the context it's like i think um 30 completely makes sense for a lot of things, and the perceptible difference can be helpful. So uh, MKBHD does everything in 30, and it works really well for that because, I mean, I feel like he is doing something that is – it is more in line with news. Like, it it is trying to, like, show reality, and 30 does a better job of showing something accurately – and I think they probably learned along the way that if you shoot a lot of products that might have all kinds of wonky frame rates, I switched to 30p on my channel for a long stint because I was doing reviews of cameras but and now? stuff that came in. I went back to 24 because I haven't had an issue in a while. But if you're the new action cam or the new phone or the new whatever and you're trying to cross footage in there or whatever, you find that 30p is everywhere, other frame rates not as much, whatever. So it's easier to integrate, I'm assuming probably, with the type of stuff that he reviews often. I don't know all the phones, obviously, but it's probably like there's easy mode to having 30p be your baseline, especially yeah. 
also if you're filming screens and stuff there's refresh rates to be considered the faster you can get that cooking the easier it's going to be and stuff right so yeah i mean i guess like even the the iphone only got 24 fairly recently what one or two models yeah, ago yeah, yeah. yeah. my pixel i think maybe. can only do 30p yeah. on 4k or something yeah. like that, but here's so. the thing with the shooting 24 on the iphone is i feel like for it to matter you need to put an nd filter on it because the the frames are so sharp yeah. that I don't see the 24 anymore. Like, it kind of stops mattering because there is, there's no motion blur when you're outside. Yeah. It's just, like, yeah. crystal clear. Everything's super crisp. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, is, like, it... it the the frames per second has to be matched otherwise it does it does it really matter like i i was shooting in uh in 60 frames per second while we were out here and forgot to switch my shutter speed when i went back to 24 and now when i watch my 24 back it looks like 60 yeah like it's it it's not it's not exactly like that but it's got that that same kind of quality Mm -hmm. so i mean maybe the shutter speed has more to do with it than the and i would say if anybody please don't record 60 and play it back at regular speed. Like that is a community. There is a YouTube community that's like 60 is the best. Like why would you ever shoot slower than 60? And then they post it at 60. If Jesse Driftwood is listening to this, so he's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He just records he, whatever he wants. He and commented he, that he's going to change in one of my recent videos. Did he? I yeah. I'll believe it when I he see it. He texted me once and said, I, I was asking him some questions about one of his stories that he put up or whatever, and he texted me back and said, like, I, I care about shutter speed 1%. Mm. That's how, <laughs> and he just, like, overcranks it, and his stuff looks amazing. Yeah. I don't, I don't, but I, so I would say, though, if you're going to be doing that, yeah. which you, you are very allowed to do, you have to be a little more awesome. If your footage is mediocre, yeah. then those things will stand out more because people are, are going to be breaking it down. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like silly vlogs that are shot in 60p that just seem like terrible. It's like there's a lot of shake. Yeah. The shake at 60p, by the way, is nauseating. Exactly. Like it's oh gosh, it's yeah. tough watching, you know? That was the thing, because I just did a bunch of these tests in one of my most recent videos about uh, ND filters, and that was the big thing I noticed was like the shake is when faster shutter speeds gets... Same with even if you're shooting at 24, um, having faster shutter speed becomes so visible as it's yeah. bouncing. The more the camera moves, because you want a little bit of that blur to kind of like easy into it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have either you guys played with the Osmo Action? No, no. I, I got I did a video on the on ND filters for the Osmo Action mm-hmm. and was like making it so that it was you know like we want the 180 degree shutter rule or whatever and talking about that. And I got a ton of comments that people said that in order to get the super smooth stabilization you can't use if you use an nd filter you oh. lose it because they're using the shutter speed right. the higher shutter speed the more um yeah I, I know that's the thing for vfx like if you're shooting real vfx stuff you'll shoot it at 120 yeah. or 60 or whatever and then add all of the motion blur in post because you want sharp frames for tracking yeah if there's all this motion blur you can't tell where and anything that's just like ai or computational stuff loves sharpness way more than those motion blur so the trick is for your vlog make sure you shoot it over overdo it on the shutter speed or whatever and then or shoot it in 60 but then you have to go into after effects and motion blur and add yes. your motion blur for your for your travel but vlog. The, the thing I motion mean, blur preset link in the description I, <laughs> I would do that sometimes but motion blur is like really computationally oh heavy yeah. and it's not in any of the nles you have to go to if anyone didn't get that, that was a joke. Please don't do I mean, that. It has a, if you're doing something that takes a lot of work, if you're already spending a long time on it, maybe. But or if, don't, I mean, don't it, do it. It, it, it can be handy to be able to know how to do something like that. If, you know, for example, for like me, like yeah. if I forgot to take it out of 60 or something like that, or or if you're like, I don't know if I'm going to need slow motion or something like that, and later on you decide, oh, no, I need to play this back full speed, but I don't want it to look silly. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. It can be handy to know how to do, but... 
don't make it a habit if you can avoid it. As somebody who has shot quite a bit in 30p, though, I can give a little bit more directed advice to the specific questioner, of course. which would be that uh, 30p, I mean, you don't want to make your entire workflow something harder than it needs to be, but if you're working with a camera that doesn't have the 24, two things relative to weddings. One, if the particular shot has very little movement of either the frame and or the subjects, say it was like vows, you can drop 30p in a 24p timeline and you're not going to notice because it's fine. Because it's the judder, the, the juddery issue only really comes during a pan or if somebody's like walking across the frame, you'll get every like fifth step will have a little bit of like a little bit to it, you know? I don't know what that sound was. I didn't, <laughs> the, it, the, it made sense. The sound when a frame gets That's a judder, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's the sound of a frame. Of one frame dropping. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hitting but the then, uh, <laughs> If you do have some motion and audio is not important, obviously, that sequence, then 30p and a 24p is actually a nice look That it, uh, when you interpolate 80% speed or whatever. Yes. Then, yeah, then yeah. you get a nice little dreamy music video kind of vibe, and you could do that for you know a little walk-in, a little turn, a little nice little head turn or hair toss, and you can give it a little dream there, and then, f- then flip in some static shots where you just drop the frames, and it's okay too, and then you use audio during the vows or whatever, and it's okay. It's not ideal because sometimes you want just some straight 24, no judder, but... Uh, it's workable. It's workable for sure. Yeah, I did a whole music video where I shot every shot in 24 and then in 30 so that I, because I didn't know which one. It wasn't well planned. It wasn't one of those, but it was like, I knew I was like going to want some of that kind of dreamy look and I didn't know which shot. So we literally did wow. every every take, well, three three different shots for different focal lengths and then three more for different uh, different frame rate. Cool. Thanks, guys. This was really nice. fun. Glad Thanks we can do for something in real life. It was my pleasure. <laughs>